0: So today, we began a series called Canvassing the Canopy, and it's really a play on words because uh, we are Orchard Community Church, there's a tree, a canopy is the top of a tree. I've got to explain the thing because it doesn't make sense. Like uh, Rock Hill up in Lawrence, they're uh, uh, led by a good friend and mentor of mine, Jim Presnell, and they have a vision series called on top of the hill and it just kind of makes sense. But uh we've never done one like this, but we're we're doing one uh, and we're we're going to call it canvassing the canopy. To canvas is to go through a place or to go to a people in order to gain support or in order to cover something in discussion like we canvassed that topic. You know, we just completely covered it. Um and then again, a canopy is that what you see. It's that uppermost branchy layer of a tree, a forest. And so we aspire to be a spiritual orchard, a group of fruit bearing trees. And I want to cover and have total support as a church, uh, the a, a big picture of what God is leading us into the next two to three years, as best as I can tell, of course. So the basic idea here, the basic idea is zoom out, zoom out for three weeks, including today, and get just get a big picture because I don't want to miss the forest for the trees, you know, get so caught up in the details of we're going through Matthew 10 and Matthew has been amazing. Uh, I love, I love what we've done in Matthew. But sometimes it's just like, you know, we just come to church week after week after week. We kind of forget like, how is all of this shaping us? How, how is all of this part of our curriculum, if you will, in Christ likeness? What, what's it doing? Where are we going and why? So during this next week, or during this week and the next two weeks, we're going to look at the whole. We're gonna to try to zoom out, look at the whole before we dive into the parts of the next two plus years as a church. And it might be, seem kind of weird because after these three weeks, I'm gonna be gone for six weeks. Might be kind of weird to do it. But honestly, um, I think it's gonna be great because then you have six weeks to marinate it, to, to marinate on it however uh, the Lord Brings it up in your life, and if he doesn't bring it up, uh, that's just fine too. But uh, here, here's what we're going to be covering today: we're going to be covering training to grow, training to grow in godliness, and uh, just fair warning, you you came for the longest of the three. Uh, this I think it's the most important one because the next two is just what we're going to do in the co- in the coming two to three years. We're going to do a series starting in March, the, the very first Sunday in March of 2020, uh, a series called The Bible Story by the Books, which means we're going to go through the, the Bible chronologically, one book at a time, one week at a time. Genesis week one. Job week two, because most scholars believe that Job happened sometime between Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. Um, so, so, so we're going to go through these overviews of of each biblical book, and there's sixty six of them, so it'll be at least sixty six weeks just saying, and there's fifty two weeks in a year, so we're already you know looking out um over a year, and then after that, spiritual formation I'll talk more about that uh January twelfth um, so this is not really a new direction though I just want to say this is Knowing and loving God and making God's love known to others. This is what we've been about since day one, but it's more uh I just want to cast a vision to invite you in to this journey together. It is as best as I can tell again where God is leading us in our two to three year curriculum for Christ-likeness towards that end of knowing, and loving God, making God's love known. So bottom line up front, here This is already a military acronym that I've learned. Bluff, bottom line up front. Here's the message in a nutshell for you today. In a sentence, what what we're talking about today with training for godliness, we are primarily interested in being a church of big Christians and not necessarily a big church. Okay, that's the, the message in a sentence, but I've got, of course, a lot more to say to that. I'm not saying at all that we're opposed to numerical growth. We welcome more people joining, what God is doing, and it's because God is welcoming all people unto himself. I'm just saying, as a church, like let's have vision for what success looks like. That, that's not our goal, to get more people in the door. We want to be interested in becoming bigger Christians and not necessarily a bigger church. Also, this is not a binary choice where, oh, it's either quantity of people or quality of people. Because often the quality of the people that that we are, it it attracts others or it repels others. Whatever the quality of our life is. And this is how Jesus changed changed the world. It was not overnight. It was investing deeply in a few who invested in others who invested in others. So... Uh, you could misunderstand that statement in a lot of ways. For example, by thinking that we want to be better than other Christians. We're going to be bigger and better. And that's that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that. Quality is not measured by comparing human to human to human, but by comparing them to the God-man, to Jesus, the image they were made to bear. That's how you measure quality. And so so application for for the message in a nutshell, is next time someone asks you, well, how big is your church? Maybe try this reply on for size. Man, let me tell you, I've grown at least this much since I started, you know, three years ago. I've grown at least this much. I know that. Uh, Or, you know, since I started coming a year and a half ago, um, you know, I've I've grown. I've, I've seen these changes. Like, Inside my life and in my relationships, I've seen these changes. Or you could say, I know a couple people there that were about this big when I met them. And now they're like this big. And I'm not talking like just the kids downstairs. Um, Christ has grown us together. And I see their increase in patience and kindness. They used to be kind of wishy-washy on truth. They just wanted everyone to feel good. But now they're really pursuing truth. I've seen them grow in their wisdom and, and, and like... And you can say as part of your answer, we're just getting started. Like we're not even close to, we look forward to to the growth that's coming. And then when people look at you like you're crazy, like I asked you how many people, that's what people mean when they say, how big is your church? And so when they look at you like you're crazy, um, uh, you can give them an invite card. We got these in the back, you know, (laughs) because quality is not opposed to quantity. Without holiness no one will see the Lord, the writer of Hebrews says. So or or you could answer, you could answer like this. I, I like this answer. At our current pace, in about another 10 years, sorry, someone asks you, how big is your church? You could say, at our current pace, I'm I'm praying and hoping and I think that in about another ten years, about twenty-five percent of our people will be giants, will be spiritual giants, because boy, they are growing through their training. And I hope that you can give an answer of something to that effect, that you're not just blowing hot air if you say that. Because if not, I mean, tell me, I might be doing my job wrong. And I just want to be clear to you. When I say spiritual giants or big Christians, I don't mean like walking around with big heads full of knowledge. I'm saying anyone who wants to be a spiritual giant can be. If you're a new Christian Or if you've never had someone teach you how to grow, don't leave here today thinking that you don't belong here. And you might be thinking, what in the world is this guy talking about? When I say spiritual giant or big Christian, I mean someone who's oozing the character of Jesus. And just FYI, most spiritual giants are too busy busy picking other people up, putting them on their shoulders, and caring for them to notice that they're spiritual giants. All spiritual giants are too enamored with the glory of God to care how large they've grown. So physically, there comes a point where we stop growing. You know, I wanted to be 6'6 and play in the NBA, but physically there came a point that I stopped growing. Spiritually, that simply doesn't have to be the case. So to that end, today, we're talking about training for growth, developing spiritual muscle. And so here's the roadmap for today's message. I'm going to read three passages. You see them on the screen. Then I'm going to read an excerpt from a book written by John Ortberg, a very well-respected pastor. And then I'm going to roll this message up like a Chipotle burrito, threefolds. And I hope it's delicious. Um, I really do. (laughs) So first passage, we're going to see a picture of Paul's training out of 1 Corinthians 9, 2nd. an invocation, uh, a challenge for, for Paul's spiritual son, Timothy to train and to see the great value in training. And third, Paul is going to invite a whole church to train with him. So let's just begin. This is a lot of reading uh, this part of it, but this is so founded in scripture. I I just wanted to start with us just hearing the word of God. Um, So 1 Corinthians 9, all of these will be on the screen. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. 1 Timothy 4, Paul writes to Timothy, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. It matters. But godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And then Philippians 3 1 through 17. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. You want to look at my zeal? I persecuted the church. As for legalistic righteousness, Paul says, I was faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things." I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. in following my example brothers and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you so i'm convinced that this isn't just in these three passages but this idea of training for godliness is on every page of the new testament like everywhere you see the word disciple you should think oh that's 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 a trainee under jesus so that's our pass- Those are our passages. And now I want to read uh, from John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted, which is about spiritual disciplines for ordinary people. This is going to be a long excerpt, but I just feel like he, he personally engages the heart of these passages that we read. And uh, he said it better than I could say it. So I'm just going just gonna to let you hear it from Ortberg and I'll I'll insert a little bit of my own uh, story in there as well. But Ortberg writes, imagine a group of people coming to your home and interrupting your Twinkie eating, TV watching routine with an urgent message. Good news. We're from the U.S. Olympic Committee. We're looking for someone to run a marathon in the next Olympics. We have statistics on every person in the entire nation on a computer, of course. We've checked everybody's records, their performance, and the physical test, or the physical fitness test in grade school, your body type, bone structure, right down to current percentage of body fat, including the Twinkie you've been eating. And we've determined that out of everyone, you're the person with the best chance to bring home the gold medal in the marathon. So you're on the squad, you're gonna run the race. This is the chance of a lifetime. And you're surprised by this because the farthest you've ever run is from the couch to the refrigerator. But after the first shock passes, you're gripped, by the realization of what's happening in your life. You picture yourself mingling with the elite athletes of the world. You imagine, you you allow yourself to imagine that maybe, maybe you have what it takes. You can do this. And at night you dream about standing on the podium after the race, hearing the national anthem, seeing the flag raised, bending low to receive the gold medal. Here's my chance. This race becomes a great passion of your life. It dominates your mind. It occupies your every waking moment. To run the race well, to win it if you can, becomes the central focus of your existence. It's what gets you out of bed in the morning. It's what you live for. It's the chance of a lifetime. Then it dawns on you. Right now, you cannot run a marathon. More to the point, you cannot run a marathon even if you try really, really, really hard. Because trying hard can accomplish only so much. If you're serious about seizing this chance of a lifetime, you'll have to enter into a life of training. So you must arrange your life around certain practices that will enable you to do what you cannot do now by willpower alone. When it comes to running a marathon, you must train, not merely try. And this need for training is not confined only to athletics, Ortberg writes. Training is required for people who want to play a musical instrument or learn a new language like Jordan Sutton, or run a business. Indeed, it's required for any significant challenge in life, including spiritual growth. Here is the, most, the single most helpful principle I know regarding spiritual transformation. Again, this is Ortberg talking. He says, there is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. He says, I wish I could describe the hope I felt when I first came to understand this truth. For much of my life, Ortberg, when he heard messages or gave messages about following Jesus, he thought in terms of trying hard, trying hard to be like Jesus. My story, just to break from Ortberg, is that I was saved by grace, but I was also paralyzed by it personally, meaning I didn't know that grace did anything more than assures you of your place in heaven instead of hell when you die. I didn't know grace was for the Christian what jet fuel is to an airplane on takeoff. It's power for life and not just avoidance of death. So I thought regarding Bible reading and prayer, yeah, I know those are good things, but I don't have to. And it's awkward and it's hard. So why bother? I wasn't naturally good at it. And it was never convenient. So it became an unnecessary inconvenience. You know, we all know what happens to those. They don't happen. Back to Ortberg. He actually wanted to try hard to be like Jesus. So for example, after hearing or preaching a sermon on patience, Ortberg would w- wake up Monday morning determined to be more, a more patient person. Have you ever tried to be patient with a three-year-old? He says that, which I thought was applicable to us. Ortberg says, I have, and it generally didn't work out any better Then would my trying hard to run a marathon for which I hadn't trained, I would end up exhausted and defeated. And Orberg says, if we understand this to be what it means to follow Jesus, it is a wonder that anyone at all wants to do it. End up exhausted and defeated over and over and over. But spiritual transformation is not a matter of trying harder, but of training more wisely. That's what Paul meant when he encouraged Timothy to train yourself in godliness. This thought also lies behind his advice to the church in Corinth about, you know, athletes who go into the games, going into strict training. Wordberg goes on to elaborate how, you know, for Paul's audience, they would have understood this because the Olympics were prominent in ancient Greece. The competitor would strive for the crown never by simply trying really hard. That that was unthinkable for them as much as it's unthinkable for us now to walk out of here and start running a marathon that you've never trained for. So respecting this distinction between training and merely trying is the key to transformation in every part of life. People sometimes think that learning how to play Bach at the, at the keyboard by spending years practicing scales and chord progressions is the hard way. Truth is the other way around. Spending years practicing scales is the easy way. Imagine sitting down at a grand piano in front of a packed concert hall and never having practiced a moment in your life. That's the hard way. This need for preparation, training, it does not stop or it does not stop when it comes to learning the art of forgiveness or joy or courage. In other words, it applies to a healthy and vibrant spiritual life just as it does to physical and intellectual activity. Learning to think, feel, and act like Jesus is at least as demanding as learning to run a marathon or play the piano. And, and Ortberg finishes or this excerpt with this. For me, this truth brought light to the darkness. For the first time as an adult, I found the notion of following Jesus as a real, concrete, tangible possibility. I could do it. I'm just here today to say you can do it too. It'll cost you your whole life. We talked about that last week. But the cost of not taking up this lifestyle of training is far, far more. It costs you the fullness of life that Christ came to, to bring you. It costs you the joy, the peace, the experiential knowledge of his love. So when I say you can do it, that, that is not a vote of my confidence in you. I am saying that because the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. The kingdom of God is available. And by the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead, you can grow in godliness. No matter where you're at, what you do for a living. And if anyone is feeling shame or condemnation or a sense of this isn't for me, I've tried this and I can't, that's a lie straight from the devil. If you've received Christ, if you have his spirit, if you have him, you don't have what it takes, none of us do, but you have who it takes. And if you haven't received Christ today and you, I don't know, from that boring book reading, <laughs> it's not boring to me, but if, from, if there's even a glimmer of hope in your life inside of you and, and you know that you don't have Jesus and you see a glimmer of the kind of life that is being offered, training under him, tell somebody. I mean, press into that with someone here today. Because I'm just here to say it is available. You must commit yourself to training under Jesus though. And like Ortberg writes, to train means to arrange our life around those practices that enable us to do what we cannot now do, Training makes us able to do tomorrow what we cannot do today. And the point of all training is to receive power. It's not just rote practices we go through over and over, but we arrange our life around these practices through which we get the power to live. So shooting a basketball, you you train your muscle memory over and over. That's the shooter's window. You go there and then you have to train yourself how to finish you you have to build that muscle memory and we need muscle memory in our soul too. Jesus said without me you can do nothing and we all agree on that John 15. But if you flip that statement around and you think well what'll happen if I do nothing regarding my spiritual training? Well you can be sure that you will be without him. So I say this in love but like if you if if you're one of those people all you do kind of church engagement-wise, is come to Sundays and, and listen. Or if you can honestly look at your life and even you come to a small group and all you do is consume or take in, you're not training. So please don't stop coming <laughs> by any means, but believe that God has more for you. And if you're engaged in training and you see other people, um, we don't rebuke them harshly, but we, we invite them in. Say, hey, come train with me. Uh, we 've got to engage this process together, so if you think well, this is kind of a call for the church to to grow and to fill some roles because we're we 're short i 'm not interested in filling roles at all that 's not what we 're about i I want this church to be about developing role models. serving in a role could be part of that for you, um, but what about just talking to someone new that you haven 't talked to? what about um, talking uh, to someone with the sole purpose of blessing them. Or, um, you know, when you think about becoming like Jesus, uh, I I hope that holiness also, you you get a picture of a really pleasant person to be with. Because you better believe Jesus Jesus is a blast to be with. Otherwise, heaven's going to be a severe disappointment for you. Um, But uh, take a risk in your worship of Jesus. Do something that makes you feel uncomfortable. Confess your sin. Ask for prayer. We've got more space than we need here. And we've got all these rooms. We've got a smaller building. All this space is open. Uh, nothing, nothing special about our spaces, but you can make them special. If you pull someone aside and say, hey, I want to confess a sin. I want you to pray for me. And so if you're a person who really enjoys roles and uh, just know that we need you too. We need roles to be filled, but we're more interested in the type of people that we're becoming than the roles that we're filling. So if you haven't noticed, now that we've finished the, uh, the reading from the book that Ortberg wrote, uh, we're now to the Chipotle folding part. So I've got three folds, you know, they have two, three folds and the, the third fold is that big one. So here's the first fold, application one. Uh, training, spiritual training is intentional, meaning it's best done with a big purpose in mind. Tying this into 1 Corinthians 9, Paul said that he trained in order to win the prize. He did this on purpose. He did this with intention. And you might wonder, Paul, what are you talking about? I mean, you're the dude who, say, who said that we're saved by grace alone. And so when you say, you know, like, so that I'm not disqualified, what are you talking about? Paul is not talking about, earning salvation. This is effort that results from salvation. So grace is utterly opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. And so he had a clear goal, like the goal of every team when they play a game is to win. They have strategies. How do we plan on winning? And then they actually have to execute those and have tactics. And in this passage for Paul, Paul, the goal is simply faithfulness to Jesus, loving God. And it, again, in the context, it's loving people. This is right, right, right after he said, I've become all things to all people. And it's in order to love God, be faithful to him, and love people. So I would just encourage you to allow yourself to imagine that maybe this kind of life is more possible than you ever realized. If you're in a stage of life where you're working 12, 14-hour days, and you're like, I'm doing good if I can spend five minutes with God in the morning of quiet time. That's great. Train there. Train while you're at work. Pray for your coworkers. This is not about building this incredible hour with God in the morning. Like, that's, that might not be faithfulness for you. That's just fine. If you're with little kids all day, find ways to train for godliness right where you are. Because this goal This big picture goal of loving God, loving people applies to everyone. And this is Orchard's goal. Like I said before, know and love God, make God's love known to others. The origin of this, of course, if you haven't connected the dots, this is what Jesus said is most important when he was asked. Love God with your whole self and love others as yourself. So we, we train towards this end together. And your commitment, your training will influence the people next to you, the people in your small group. You can only choose for you, but your commitment influences everyone around you. So here's, here's a second fold of the burrito, application number two. Embrace training over trying. And I want to be really clear, that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean that if someone says, Cheryl, I've really been trying. I've, I've been trying to pray. Every time I pray, my mind just goes everywhere except prayer. Um, I've just been trying. That doesn't mean, oh, well, you should stop trying and start training. You know, like I'm not giving permission to correct people on their verbiage because if you train, you, you do have to put forth effort. But the difference between training and trying is if you, if you try to squat 300 pounds, you will either succeed or fail. (laughs) If you try to make a basket, you will either make it or miss it. But if you train to squat 300 pounds, if you train to be a better shot, you will make progress. Everything, every rep that you do on the squat squat rack, every shot that you put up towards the goal will give you feedback. Oh, that, that shot was short. That shot was left. That shot was right. That shot was short. That shot was good. Needed Replicate that. Training sees all efforts as moving towards or away from your goal. They're giving you feedback. Trying is succeed or fail. And so Ecclesiastes 10 is just this beautiful picture of what I mean by training. It says if the iron or if the axe is blunt and one doesn't sharpen the edge, you got to use more strength. If you're trying to cut down a tree with an axe that is dull, it's going to take way more work than it should. And you might not even finish. You might just exhaust yourself, like Ortberg wrote. But wisdom, I would say, but training helps one to succeed. So if you're just trying to cut down a tree, um, find out the axe is dull. You either quit or you keep trying. And you could use that feedback to say, I'm going to go sharpen this and come back and do this again. So Ecclesiastes 10 is just illustrating Ortberg's statement that spiritual change is not a matter of trying harder, but of training wisely. You've still got to take wax with that ax. Otherwise, you're not cutting anything. But thinking about it really personally, someone can tell you, oh, you should forgive and expect them to get on board. Or you could choose to wade into, okay, why is forgiveness hard for me? Lord, I... I hear you saying I should forgive, and I know harboring unforgiveness is wrong, but what is it in my heart that's kicking back? Why doesn't it seem good to me to do this? What can I do? What practices can I engage in order to become a person to whom it makes more sense to forgive than to hold on to offenses? So, and we we should find our spiritual training, like Paul said to Timothy to be helpful in every part of our lives, whether at work or parenting or relationships our finances. Spiritual training, this is an incredible statement, has value for all things, even your physical workout. The way you look at your body, spiritual training has value for all things. So while our goal, big picture, is love God and love others, our strategy, how we plan to do that as a church can honestly be summed up in a word, which is train. Train. And our training is together. We train together. I can't train for Dean, and Dean can't train for me. But his training and my training, they affect each other. So our third and final application is take the next step. This is from Philippians three. And I wish, I honestly, I wish I had time to preach a whole nother sermon because Philippians 3 is so so loaded with good stuff. This is where the rubber meets the road. Taking the next step is what we all are called to do in our training. And Paul, in Philippians 3, he invites the church in to this type of life and he also models it. You know, he says in verse 1, I got no problem saying the same thing to you over and over again. And then in verses 2 through 6, Paul gives this warning. Like, I could, Paul says, I could be self-righteous. I got reasons to be self-righteous. But that is ridiculous nonsense. So don't listen to me and don't listen to anybody else who sounds like that. Verses 7 through 11, Paul says, I don't want self-righteousness. All I want, no matter what it takes, is more of Jesus. So next step is always about moving towards, towards Jesus. And then in verses 12 through 16, Paul says, I'm aware of the gaps. I'm I'm aware that I'm not yet the man I want to be. Like, I know I've changed. I'm aware of the gaps though. And I'm hungry. I'm eager to grow. I'm, I'm still a learner. Paul, the great leader, is still a learner. And then in verse 17, you know, he says, this is a community project. Join with others, he says, in following my example. Take note of the pattern of those who have lived faithful lives. So again, the goal is knowing and loving God, making God's love known to others. Our strategy in, in a word is train. And then when it comes to tactics, this is, this is when the Chiefs actually win football games or when anyone ever wins a football game, it's because th- th- that you always achieve a goal through strategy that's thought out you actually have to hit someone. You actually have to tackle someone. You actually have to run with the ball and not lose the ball. That's tactics. It's the lowest level execution in order to move towards a goal. So for for us as a church, it is actually spending time alone with God. It's actually committing to a local church. It's actually confessing your sin. It's actually doing things that we see in scripture like fasting and journaling and feasting too, not just fasting but also feasting. And so tactics, like it gets to even what kind of sharing you do at small group. And I'm all for like, you know, like come into group. Like that's, that's awesome. If you're committed to come into group and sharing life together, but like what kind of sharing, have you thought about the tactical level? And this is what I do. And this is what I encourage other groups to do. Um, And and you can do it. Even if uh, your group as a whole, isn't doing it is, Confess your sin every week. And if, don't make it up if you don't know how you sinned. <laughs> then you, you should, if you make it up, you should immediately confess. Um, <laughs> temptation overcome. We don't sin as much as we could sin. And we should celebrate that sin has no more hold on us. We overcome temptation. Time alone with God. Just report honestly to the man the women that God has surrounded you with, how is it really going when you get alone with God? Um, Train together towards that. And mission. And when I say mission, I don't mean, oh, did you share your faith every day? I mean like, are you just thinking about and praying for and cultivating a heart for the lost? Praying for the lost every single day, you are living on mission and you will grow in life on mission. So the I don't know if you're familiar with uh, church history, but I love church history. And the Methodists, they had like 22 questions. The Methodists did. The, those guys were legit. We, we just have four. Um, I'm, I'm good with four. If you want to look up the 22, you can, you know, use some of theirs. But I'm just saying like training is done on purpose. We have a goal to move towards here. And so I, I'd encourage you, if you don't have a plan, Uh, give this a run for a year. Don't give it a run for a week and say, oh, I didn't feel anything. (laughs) Um, Training isn't about feeling. It's about about having a clear goal, a strategy, and some tactics to move towards. And often, often, training just feels like drudging along. I used to hate running. I used to hate it. And it would be like, I would feel every single step that I ran. You know, it's like, I have to go do this. I have to go do this again, you know, like, and I feel every step. Now I like running, and I know that sounds weird. I don't, I'm not crazy people who run 13 miles. I'm like two or three, I'm good. But uh, training often just, it feels like drudging along. But that's why I love the picture of taking the next step. And here's Paul, one of the most brilliant missionaries, one of the most brilliant men who ever lived intimate walk with the Lord. And and he's just saying in Philippians 3, I just want to take the next step. I want to see you take the next step. And so I feel kind of silly talking about two, three years out in the future, but I want to do that in order to encourage you, take the next step now. Because in three years, it's possible we go through all this stuff. Information isn't going to change any of us. But it is part, this is part of our training for godliness together. And, and training as a strategy, uh, it, that's going to be around a lot longer than these two years. And I've been praying this week that 100 years from now, when the youngest child downstairs today has lived a long and healthy life, I hope this church is still about training for godliness. And if Jesus wants to do that, if he chooses to do that here, he'll do it by inviting us to follow him one step at a time. And it might be miserable at first when you're learning to train. But the, the essence of training, it just always starts with the next step. So I want to I finish with just a few diagnostic questions. These are the same type of questions that if you go to the doctor and you're like, hey, doc, something's up. Um, if you go to a counselor or if you go to a life coach, these are the type of questions that people will ask you in order to take the next step. So spiritually, just think about your life and say, ask God, what are my goals? Where am I at right now? And what have I tried in connecting where I'm at and where I want to be? Father, we give you just some silence to speak. I'm going to invite the worship band to come up. And if you're a parent of a kid uh, that's young enough to like have a, a backpack or a diaper bag, uh, go ahead and go down now and pick them up um, as the worship team comes up. And uh, we're going to continue worshiping, praying. Um, and uh, our prayers will be put to song, hopefully.